Imagine, you just got home from work, dinner is ready, wine is chilled, and your man has offered you 15 minutes of heaven in the form of a foot massage. And then he says, Your tanning session is now complete. What just happened? You found your escape at Palm Beach Tan. Break from the chaos at a Palm Beach Tan near you and leave rejuvenated. Take time for yourself at Palm Beach Tan and take that feeling with you wherever you go. Get up to $25 off your first month featuring Australian gold. Perfect man, not included. If there's anything better than getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's, it's getting a few of your favorite things from McDonald's for less in the McDonald's app. Delicious. Order in the McDonald's app today. Right now, only in the app. Enjoy a breakfast sandwich for just $1, like a sausage McMuffin with egg. Offer valid one time per day from 429 to 512 at participating McDonald's. Must opt into rewards. Developing tonight, fresh fallout surrounding a controversial new law in California. The measure, which critics are calling the bully bill, forces pregnancy centers to provide their clients with information about public programs that offer access to abortions. Oh no, say it ain't so. Fake abortion centers, part four, let's go. Welcome back to Frosters, where we deep dive and laugh deep. And if you're a lion hustling huckster that's terrible to people, we're coming for you. I'm your co-host, Cena Gaznavi, along with Justin Williams and Ariel Lieti. Follow me on all the socials at Cena Now. Follow Justin on Instagram at Justin underscore Williams underscore comedy. And follow Ariel on the socials at Ariel Lieti. Team, fam, it's good to see you all again for another edition of fake abortion centers. How do we feel about it? Yes. Still bad. Not great. Mm. Yeah. This Delicious. was eye-opening for me. Yeah. It was eye-opening for me. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm so I'm happy to keep an eye on because it's like more people should know about this and it should be dominating more of the public debate. So I'm glad that we're coming back to this. Yeah, I think that's the whole thing, right? It's like we're we're dedicated now that this is like a category of fraudster that we're gonna cover over and over and over again because it's like a Ponzi scheme and it's ubiquitous. It's probably more of these centers now than Ponzi schemes happening. I don't know. Maybe that's a stretch. Well, we got a couple interviews for you guys. Uh, but before we get to that, this just happened in the news from Bloomberg. We saw that the FDA responded to a challenge to Mifepristone, the abortion pill, from the Alliance Defending Freedom in a Texas court. The FDA said that the judge should reject any attempt by abortion opponents to halt access to a pill that induces abortions. If the ADF were to win, the FDA says that it would improperly undo a, quote, longstanding scientific determination based on speculative allegations of harm. They added that a decision in favor of ADF would also, quote, upend the status quo and the reliance interests of patients and doctors who depend on mifepristone, as well as businesses involved with mifepristone distribution. Of course, the status quo that the ADF wants to create is from The Handmaiden's Tale. So what do we think about this, guys? This is crazy. Do you remember the ADF? Does this sound familiar, who these people are? Yes. I tried to forget them. I always like it when they. I always like it when they try to pitch like gender apartheid in like these like civil terms. <laughs> it should be in yeah. the best interest of. <laughs> so I did a quick look up of these folks because I I thought they sounded familiar. And do you guys remember the gay wedding cake yes. Supreme Court case? Happy That's yes. these people. That's oh, these people working for oh. the greater good. <laughs> oh, <All> goody. The time. <laughs> 
Losers. I like when Ariel hears bad facts. They're <laughs> awful. <laughs> oh, oh, good. Oh, thanks. That's thanks. the only way I can. Uh, that's self-preservation. You heard that? Although all the <laughs> yeah. time, whenever you say bad news, I'm like, good. Yes. Excellent. Yes. Fantastic. Wonderful. Uh, I, I like people that take their prejudices all the way to the Supreme Court. It's like, you are such a loser. It's like, you can just be prejudiced. But you're like, no, I got to go to the Supreme Court with this. Why can't you be prejudiced in your bedroom no. privately? No, but you got to take it to the Supreme Court. No, everyone's got to know about it. It's funny you said the Supreme Court, Justin, because the Alliance Defending Freedom, they have won 13 of the last 14 Supreme Court cases they brought since 2011. Damn. That's oh, wow. so many. That's incredible. That's why they bring it to the courts because they're like, we're going to probably win. They're killing it. Are they all weird wedge issue things of like, we want to defend the right of a man to not have an interracial wedding cake topper in Tuscaloosa, Absolutely. Alabama Very or something. I bet you this was this Hobby Lobby, too. I can't remember. They probably were backing a lot of these places. But the Alliance Defending Freedom, they have this new CEO from from last year, Kristen Wagoner. Uh, she assumed the post on October uh, 2022, uh, succeeding Michael Ferris, who joined the ADF in January 2017, and Alan Sears, who served 23 years as the founding CEO. Since Ferris and Wagoner joined the ADF, this is from their website, which I really wanted to read. Since Ferris and Wagoneer joined, the ADF has garnered recognition as one of the largest legal powerhouses defending God-given freedoms. <laughs> and at the close of 2021 fiscal year in June, it crossed the 100 million revenue threshold, which, you know, I guess that's God-given as well. Yeah. The Lord giveth $100 million and the Lord taketh away your rights. <laughs> I, ADF, I like I like it because they say God given. Let me tell you something. God doesn't give you rights. You know what gives you your rights? Loaded AK forty seven. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right, sorry. That's right. <laughs> All right. That's right. Armed and dangerous. <laughs> Okay. That's us. <laughs> God ain't got nothing to do with it when I come to see <laughs> You can pray. You can pray. You can pray all you want. Uh, so we've got a couple interviews for you we talked about the fact act last time and our our part three and we had some clips from uh, the supreme court case uh, and we actually got one of the authors of the bill so this was an interview that ariel and i did with David Chu, and we'll talk about him in a second. And then you'll hear an interview from Ashley Underwood from Equity Forward, where she'll talk to us about all the research she's done and the activism that she's doing to fight against these fake abortion centers, which she's helped us learn that we should be calling them centers, not clinics. So let's go to those interviews. After that, you'll probably hear Ariel and I also riff on some great um, fake abortion center social media clips. So we'll see you after that. David Chu is the first Asian American elected as the San Francisco city attorney. Before being elected to that office, he served as a civil rights attorney, criminal prosecutor, and Democratic counsel to the U.S. Senate Constitution Subcommittee. Before he became San Francisco's city attorney, he represented the city in the California State Assembly where he authored 75 laws. And today he's here to talk about one of them. David, thanks for joining us. Can you tell me, did you see your family authoring all of those 75 <laughs> laws? I have to admit my seven years in the legislature were a bit challenging when it came to family time. Uh, and it, it's, it's actually great at this moment now that I'm a San Francisco local official again, spending time with my family. But uh, it was an honor to serve in the legislature. It, it, it is a blur uh, when you're working at that pace of, of trying to move things. But hey, we have a lot of problems in society we're trying to fix and solve and address. Yeah, Congress got Congress people spiking the football if they they pass they write <laughs> one bill. You're over here doing 75. Well, we're happy to have you on the show here. Thank you. Um, 
we're, we're talking about these, you know, these fake uh, abortion centers, these crisis pregnancy centers, whatever we're going to call them for, for today. There's all these different types of ways to describe them, I know. And Ariel and I just came into understanding about them within the last year. Can you tell me, when did you first hear about them? Because we are filled with rage now that we know that they're in existence and they're very pervasive throughout the country. I've been filled with rage for the better part of over a decade since I first learned <sighs> about fake health centers like this. And what we are talking about are, are centers that purport to provide women's health services that are literally fake, where they're not, not only they're not providing accurate information, they're lying to pregnant women who walk in through the doors, oftentimes uh, very vulnerable women uh, at a time in their lives where they need accurate factual information. You are met by uh, people wearing white lab coats who are pretending to be doctors and nurses who are pretending to tell you scientifically based information when they're literally telling you all sorts of crazy things. Um, I actually uh, pulled out of my uh, my files some uh, some pamphlets that oh, one, can, no. one can receive if you walk into this. Oh, man. So, you know, things like <clears throat> you have a right to know or 10 oh. reasons I want an abortion or oh, or God. here's the best what girls don't know about sex. And what you learn when you walk into these centers <laughs> Made in is Photoshop. I it's it. it's insane the, the content that's in here, and I'm happy to share some of it. But oh, please do! It basically says <laughs> yes. if if you are going to get an abortion, it goes through the immediate complications: uh, bleeding, puncturing, tearing of the womb, infection, cervical lacerations, hepatitis, sterility, infertility, potential long term complications. In addition to guilt and personality disturbances, miscarriages, premature delivery because of damage to your cervix, breast cancer, there's a whole section on breast cancer, and then it goes on and on and on. And, and, and this is what is happening across America in thousands of these fake health centers, in hundreds of centers in California, even centers in my city of San Francisco. Wow. Ariel, what, what do you feel when you see all those pamphlets? Oh, man. First of all, I'm offended by the, you know, the paint MS usage on the pamphlets, <laughs> first and foremost. But secondly, it just straight up lies. What girls don't know about sex? I could have made that and not gotten paid for it the same as whatever like intern did that. It's just well, then maybe, it's, maybe you should maybe you should open up a, a so-called crisis pregnancy. Center. I know. I, you know what? Yeah. And they make they make money, which is the sad and disgusting part. Mm -hmm. Yep. And and what I could tell you is, so I learned about this, uh, but when I was uh, in my first couple months in the legislature, I was handed a report by NARAL California, which I also happened to, to collect, where they actually did an investigation of crisis pregnancy centers. They sent women who were either pregnant or were pretending to be pregnant, um, visiting dozens of clinics. And what they found was the vast majority of these clinics would tell you that abortions are linked to health consequences like breast cancer, infertility, miscarriages, post-abortion depression leading to suicide. Uh, they talk often about breast cancer. They're giving 56, 50, 61% of these centers gave false information about contraception. Um, all sorts of crazy things uh, are being said in these centers, and it was all documented in this, in this report. By the way, just for the listeners to know, we just saw pamphlets that were made with like MS Paint or Kid Picks, and then uh, David showed us the actually professionally done graphic designed <laughs> white paper yeah. that was well so much better, better designed. Uh, so we're here to talk about the Reproductive Fact Act that you authored. Is that right? That's right. Yes. Okay, and I just have to know, though, when you say author, what does that actually mean? Do you actually sit and type words? Are you copying and pasting from the Constitution? What does that mean? <laughs> so it, it means it means that I am the lead sponsor of a bill um, and, and sort of responsible for the overall direction of the bill. What, I, what, what any legislator does is they have a concept for a bill. They work with our legislative lawyers to actually draft the language. We're working with uh, with with stakeholders who care about the issue, uh, in our instance, working with NARAL, Planned Parenthood, and dozens of reproductive rights, civil rights organizations, privacy organizations, consumer healthcare organizations, to fine tune the the words on the page, uh, and then uh, and then we are moving it. I'm moving it through the process, so I'm the person as the author who is presenting the bill in uh, many committee hearings. Uh, arguing the bill on the floor of the California Assembly, uh, getting senators to argue the bill on the floor of the state Senate, and then convincing the governor to sign the bill when it's done. 
Okay, so quarterbacking the bill, not getting carpal tunnel for the bill. Is that not safe, getting carpal safe? tunnel. I mean, we, we definitely, you know, we um, our, our, our bills are drafted by legislative council. We're, we're obviously reviewing them. There are times when we're negotiating the, a lot of the actual wording uh, if there are issues that come up. So, uh, so we do have to dive into to details. Uh, and that's what that's what I did for seven years in the legislature. Thank wow. God you're a lawyer, right? Cena, it's a future for you, too. Yeah. Oh, God, please. No, you could no, have it all. Cena. It. No, please. <laughs> the debt's enough. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so let's get into this act. And I could describe from what I read about it, but I'd love to hear you just give me a quick, you know, maybe not even just a quick summary of the bill, but what your intention was when you were authoring the bill and, and how it came to be. So what our intention was, uh, you know, we know that when women are going to any health center, when they become pregnant, they are looking for fact-based information, scientifically accurate information very quickly. And um, and we know that's not happening in hundreds of these fake health centers. So we want to make sure that all health organizations uh, in the state that are purporting to provide these services are doing that. Uh, and so the bill was very simple. It simply says that uh, when you walk in through the door, you need to be given a basically a two-line notice that says – what your reproductive choices are in the state of California. Literally, all the bill says is in the state of California, you have the right to uh, get free or uh, a reduced cost services when it comes to family planning, prenatal care, or an abortion. And here's a number to call for your local county office. And that's it. It's very simple. Oh, very simple, you say. Very simple. So, so we thought, and obviously I know, you know we're going to talk about what happened to this bill, but in 2015, I was a freshman. We, we thought this was going to be you know, the idea of providing an objective notice of what uh, the state of California allows when it comes to services for uh, pregnant women. We thought that should be a no-brainer. Okay, so I backed into this case because I th- I found the Supreme Court case where it was Nifla v. Becerra, the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates, a very organized and very litigious organization we found out. And in our previous episode, we played some clips from the oral arguments, which if you're a nerdy guy like me are super fun to listen to. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that came up were a number of issues that were brought up during oral arguments that I found – you know, sometimes these things come up and, and the justices are making up uh, hypotheticals in a way or seeing how far the law could be applied and then using that as a means to strike down the law. I, I you know, I have my own issues with how the Supreme Court runs in general where they back into their own viewpoints most of the time anyways and they just use the Constitution to support it. But one of the things that came up was that this became a freedom of speech issue. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me about how – it was not actually a freedom of speech issue, and how and how did it, how did it be, get there to be a freedom of speech issue? Well, um, obviously, we wanted to move forward this law to make sure that women receive timely and accurate and facts based information uh, at at a important time in their life. And uh, from our perspective, this is about ensuring a woman's right to choose whatever options, whether it be carrying a baby to term whether it be an abortion, wanting to make sure that you understand all of your options. But I will say that uh, the other side of this issue was uh, incredibly savvy at how they went about this. And I know we're going to talk about what happened with the Supreme Court, but I will just say, you know, 2020 hindsight, but in 2015, we had no idea. Fast forward that a, a crazy man named Donald Trump was going to become president. We had no idea that he was going to install uh, anti-choice justices uh, that would flip what had been for decades a, a, a pro-choice majority on our United States Supreme Court. Now, we spent a lot of time, and our lawyers, uh, the California Attorney General's office, spent a lot of time making sure what we were doing was legal. And um, you know, once this law passed, uh, it was challenged in four district courts. So, so the law passed uh, mm. toward the end of 2015. It was challenged in four district courts. And we defended it in four district courts. And guess what? We won in every oh. single one of those courts. We went for nothing. Then it was challenged and appealed up to the Ninth Circuit. And we went to the Ninth Circuit. And guess what happened there? We won unanimous opinion, 3-0, unanimous court, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in our favor. We thought, phew, 
our work is done. We did what we should. We had crafted this in a way to address the constitutional issues that we were aware of. But I, I, I have to say the coda. Uh, that decision came down, I believe, in October of 2016. A month, la- a month later, Donald Trump is, is elected. And as the words in the Hamilton musical, the world turned upside down. And within mm. a few weeks, if you remember during that year, uh, President Obama had tried to appoint his Supreme Court nominee. And if that had happened, this would we, this would never be an issue. We would have won the case handily. Uh, but instead, Republicans did what they did for the first time in our country's history. They stymied a Supreme Court nominee for the better part of a year, saying it's an election year, we're not going to put someone in. And then they put in an anti-choice Supreme Court justice that the other side had spent millions of dollars and years building up for it. And then the decision came down, as you know, 5-4 decision against us. So so I think it's important to remember the overall political context um, as we're also talking about some of the more nuanced legal nerdy issues, as you as you put it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and it is kind of wild. I didn't realize that. You know, and by the way, for the listeners, district court, those are federal cases, right? Correct. Those are those are those are federal courts. These are not just like your local state court. These are federal courts because we have a lot of international listeners to the show. Uh, and then the circuit court is obviously another federal court above the district courts. So let's get to this. If we could play the clip of uh, Justice Ginsburg going in and then Justice Gorsuch Gorsuch, Gorsuch. We're going to have to do some vocal warm-ups for me. Gorsuch, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, where he does that. Let's listen to this. What about I mean, there were legislative fi- findings about uh, false and misleading representations? Did, has California uh, ever brought charges against any of these places for false and misleading? Advertising? Uh, I'm not aware that the state has. I believe that the city and county of San Francisco has. Can you tell me about the the charges for false and misleading uh, cases? Did you bring them? So uh, it's interesting uh, that you you, you focused on that. Um, So I mentioned that a few years before I went into the legislature, I had worked on this issue. It was when I was a local legislator uh, working on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. And we had probably one of the earliest skirmishes in California over these issues of, of, of fake clinics. Um, at the time, we knew of at least one or more centers that were putting out fake and misleading information. So we actually crafted a law in San Francisco to prohibit, uh, I believe the term was limited services pregnancy centers, from making false or misleading statements to the public about pregnancy-related services that the centers would offer. And uh, we we authored it, we passed it, and within a short period of time, it was actually challenged in the courts uh, by one of these fake clinics, the so-called first resort uh, uh, organization. And the office that I, I, I manage today, which is the San Francisco City Attorney's Office, actually defended our city in that. Um, and so we were actually litigating that very issue at the same time the FACT Act was going up through the courts. Huh. And so if I recall, I don't think that discussion got very much play in the oral argument of, didn't. of, of the FACT Act, but I wish it did because yeah. we we not only had a law trying to address false and misleading statements, but it was, it was going through the courts. And then let me tell you what happened to that case. So that case, we prevailed. The federal judge upheld it, and then the Ninth Circuit upheld it a few years later and then the United States Supreme Court didn't, denied cert, which meant they allowed our San Francisco law to to stand. So Justice Ginsburg was correct that 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 was a different approach. But at the time I authored the Reproductive Fact Act, we didn't know what was going to happen in that case. In fact, we uh. were concerned about vulnerabilities. We knew it was going through the court system. And I remember at the time we had a discussion. Do we want to try to move forward this law and turn this into a state law, and the decision was made, let's go the reproductive fact route. And in addition to the fact that that law was being challenged in the courts, there was one of the reasons why we went the reproductive fact route. If you have a law that says you cannot provide a false and misleading statement, in order to enforce it, you need to find that center who is telling that woman that false and misleading statement. You could see, I know, Seema, you're a lawyer, that's not, not a trivial thing to ascertain from an evidentiary standpoint or actually prove, right? You, you've got to have a, a, a woman tell you, this is what I was told at, on this day. And you have to say, that's the person who said it. And this is why it's misleading. There's a lot that goes into that. And so the thought was, 
just require every clinic to say, again, two lines. In the state of California, every woman has the right to prenatal care, um, uh, family planning services, or an abortion. And, and we thought that would be a far better way of addressing the, the lack of facts coming out of these centers. Okay, let's keep playing the clip, but I feel like your answer is going to be related to what Gorsuch said here as well. Uh, but in any case, that doesn't address the, the – such a procedure would not be superior. First, that kind of um, – policing that kind of uh, issue would not necessarily be more speech protective since it might involve undercover patients, record subpoenas, uh, site visits, and because the rest. Because it would have the virtue of um, applying evenly to all persons – in all industries, and a law that is very familiar. I mean, anti-fraud provisions in commercial speech are well known and and don't pose any of the problems we've been discussing today. So why, why wouldn't that be a superior mechanism for addressing these concerns? This, this is when my head, when I was listening to this, exploded, and I was like, I can't believe I'm agreeing with Justice Gorsuch here. This is incredible. How did I get here in my life? I looked in the mirror. I looked at my son. I was like, your father is a fraud. No, it's it's incredible. And I, I, I hear you. It's It was difficult. But for me, and when I hear a, a strict constructionalist, a guy that wishes that we lived in the 1800s, basically, say that why didn't you just make this a fraud provision? Tell me why or maybe the conversations that were happening that kept you from making this into a, an anti-fraud law. Well, as I, as I said before, San Francisco had already essentially crafted that anti-fraud law. That was already working its way through the court system. And so uh, I know that the reproductive rights organizations and uh, the civil rights organizations I were working with said, that is one approach. We'll see what happens there. But we think this other approach is constitutional. And again, if uh, I think if Donald Trump had not been elected right. president, uh, we, we wouldn't be having this very conversation. Um, I want to also ask, like, why across the country do you think we're not seeing more uh, laws passed for protecting women against this fraud, either civilly or criminally? Because it is fraud in and of itself. Is it really just the fact that it's hard to prosecute? Well, I think it's not easy to prosecute, but I would say that unfortunately, and I think, you know, post Dobbs, we've seen at least 26 states have anti-choice majorities in the legislature. So these are legislatures that are doing everything they can to curtail the right of women to have access. And I'll actually mention one other theme in, in our case, which was why we actually didn't think it would be, was going to be overturned. Over 16 states at the time of this case had anti-choice laws that required healthcare providers to talk to women about adoption options before they considered their right to choose. In other words, doing exactly the opposite of what we, we want. We want healthcare providers to let everyone know, hey, here are your options. In those 16 states, doctors have to say, I know you're considering an abortion, but you really should think about an adoption. And we thought if, if the justices struck down our law, they were going to – that same logic was going to have to be used to strike down those anti-choice laws in those red states. And in fact, Justice Breyer, if I recall, used that very argument. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. He kept saying, if you're going to do this to California, doesn't that mean we have to reconsider uh, what – these other states require other healthcare providers to do. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, again, a very strong anti-choice majority on the Supreme Court by that point uh, resulted in a different, uh, in a different outcome. And then it was that Casey uh, decision, right, that they based the, the notice attribute Correct. on, right? Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yes. So um, – Okay, this is just this is all just a, a mess here, and uh, I've just got one one last question for you, or Ariel, if you have any, please jump in here. But <laughs> this just stresses me. I guess my my only question that I had really quickly was: um, Is that still a law that's enacted in those sixteen or more states? Oh, I am positive that not only are those laws still enacted, but there are many many laws that have been layered on top of them to make life even worse. In fact, after Dobbs came down, I will tell you, I started getting phone calls from friends around the country uh, about 
you know, doctors and patients who are scared about what's happening. Mm. And uh, in San Francisco, with my local bar association, we recruited at this moment over 70 law firms in the Legal Alliance for Reproductive Rights. And these are law firms that are that may have a barrier, um, you know, ties, mm. but these are also national law firms that are committed to providing pro bono assistance to patients and providers who are being targeted with lawsuits arrests or criminal prosecutions because of those laws in uh, over majority of American states at this point, because it is, it is that, wow. it is that dire. Oh, that's so rough. By the way, I realized I didn't have a chance to tell you some of the, some of the most fun aspects of going through the legislative process with this bill. Oh. If you want to hear some oh, stuff that's probably, probably good for you. When we went through the legislative process in, I remember in the first couple of committees, one, I was called a communist, but putting that aside, that's fine. Okay, sure. Um, sure. We had a Republican colleague who literally started off the discussion. Uh, I'm an Asian American. My uh, my my co-author is an African American woman from LA, and he started off his statement by saying, "What is it with you people? Mm. Why is abortion so important to you people?" Oh. Mm. And uh, I wonder what he means. The bubble went over both of our heads yes. on exactly what he meant by you people. And I kind of whispered under my breath. I'm like, is he referring to me as an Asian guy or are you as a black woman? All of the above. And, uh, See, all of the above. I, so, I love that moment so, of like, yeah, is it you, you people or me, you people? Both. Which you people right. are we youing right now? Yes. But, you know, as I said, we came out of the legislative process. Governor Jerry Brown signed it, sued in four district courts, upheld, sued at the Ninth Circuit, upheld, and then the nightmare that we all experienced of Donald Trump and his conservative Supreme Court um, came upon us. And, and of course, we, you know, we, we lost that by one Supreme Court justice vote. Yeah. And as my mother would, uh, would say, my Iranian mother, she would say, every four years, you can kick him out. And so in Iran, it's not so easy as we see what's happening in Iran. But we are fortunate enough that we got to kick Donald Trump out and hopefully start to uh, right some of the wrongs here. I guess I want to know that the Republicans and the, and the anti-choice right have been playing the long game. And I don't mean eight years. I mean, 80 years. How is it? that the pro-choice aspect, the pro-choice groups, cannot be playing the long game here. How How is the religious right so much more organized and, frankly, better at this than us? I, I can't agree with you more. In fact, when Donald Trump was elected, when my little California law was appealed to the Supreme Court, when Neil Gorsuch was put on the bench, I literally had that thought of, oh, my God. This was their plan all along. This yeah. was the long game, and none of us had thought uh, that this that this moment could could come. And obviously, we saw what happened this past June with with the Dobbs case. You know, I think the reproductive rights movement uh, w- has been fighting the fight for the better part of fifty years. Um, but I don't think any of us saw or thought that Roe v. Wade. Uh, was in as much jeopardy as it obviously turned out to to be. I think none of us could fathom the idea that a major constitutional right would be taken away. Really, kind of a first a first for uh, for 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 this court. And so uh, we obviously have an incredible amount of catch up to do. But I can assure you, the conversations that are happening in progressive circles, civil rights circles, privacy circles, healthcare circles, consumer circles, and reproductive rights circles are now how do we play the long game? Because because we have to, you know, when you've got six justices going the wrong way, um, you know, it may not be within my son's lifetime or your kid's lifetime before, you know, we have a shot at getting justices who might revisit that. Boy, David Chu, city attorney of San Francisco. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. And thank you for your interest in this issue of fake abortion centers. I appreciate it. Keep going after the fraudsters. Thank you. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. 
Ashley Underwood, thank you so much for joining us on Fraudsters. Uh, we really appreciate you uh, being on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, we'd love to hear just a little bit of background on you. How did you get involved in, the, in this kind of work and how did you end up at Equity Forward? Yeah, sure. So um, prior to joining the Equity Forward team, I was working at ProChoice Ohio, um, and there I helped to build and manage a program for people who had had abortions and wanted to become advocates in like the reproductive health rights and justice movements. Um, and so while managing that program, an opportunity opened up for me to begin doing some opposition research um, for the organization, and I just became like really fascinated by the anti-abortion movement, um, the way it's structured and funded, and how it like really operates as a machine. Um, so the opportunity to dive deeper into this interest area presented itself with Equity Forward. Um, and at the time I was looking to pivot into more of like a research role. Um, so it just worked out perfectly. And I've been with the team um, for a little over two years now. And why don't we just get right to it? Tell me about the network and how these fake abortion clinics kind of operate. Yeah, so at Equity Forward, we, re we refer to these entities as anti-abortion centers, um, just it. because we feel like that terminology quickly captures like what these places are. Um, in many ways, they're the storefront of the anti-abortion movement. They're they're staffed by people who have been mobilized by anti-abortion organizations. Um, the few centers that do have like medical staff, they're they're all opposed to like comprehensive reproductive health care. Um, they're funded by a lot of like the anti-abortion giants. Um, and so in many ways, they just represent everything that the anti-abortion movement seeks to do, which is deter and delay people from accessing abortion care, but also to just like control people's reproductive outcomes. Um, and so, yeah, these centers are everywhere. I'm sure you all have seen like the billboards. Um, they are getting into like TikTok influencers now and Snapchat filters, um, Instagram. They're literally everywhere. A Snapchat um, filter? Yeah. Sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so at Equity Forward, um, part of our research is um, involves doing public records research. And so we have a set of target states that have publicly funded alternatives to abortion programs. Um, and when I say publicly funded, um, it could be a mixture of like the state's general revenue. Um, so taxpayer dollars are specifically funds from TNF, which is temporary assistance for needy families. Um, and so TNF is basically a new name for what we used to refer to as welfare. And so these alternatives to abortion programs at the state level that are funded by TNF um, were able to access that information through public records research. Um, and I specifically recall in Ohio, um, one of the centers we were looking into in their grant year to report for that year talks about purchasing Snapchat filters near bus stops and high schools um, in order to target a different demographic. So yeah, they're just, they're literally everywhere and they're, they're doing everything they can to appeal to more people and to get more people into their doors. It's, it's very sick and scary. Their TikTok content has to be like super like lame though. Is it like, you know, a woman like <laughs> she claps her hands once and then points and then it's just like a super right wing message. That doesn't sound like fun at all. You know, I try to personally keep my TikTok feed to like the entertainment side of things. But I don't think that's bad. in their public records and that like really stood out to me. <laughs> well, well, let's talk about that though for a second. You, you're doing all this research. How? What effect has it had on you? This has got to be really tough. I mean, if I were you, I'd have like a burner phone for this kind of stuff to be looking at yeah. it. Like, how do you manage it? Well, you know, I'm naturally a very nosy person, so like this is like a very productive outlet for me. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> Same. Yeah, digging into people and also like our financial stuff. Like, sign me up. I love this sort of stuff. <laughs> Um, but also just like the research side of things has like really helped to connect a lot of dots. Like, um, like right when I was out of graduate school, I was working as a community health worker. Um, and the program that I worked with was for um, reducing infant mortality, specifically amongst teenage mothers. And I recall as a community health worker ascending our girls to AACs. At the time, I didn't know what they were. So here I am, fresh out of a public health program inside of the AAC, seeing people walk around pushing ultrasound machines and with, you know, scrubs and things on, thinking it's a legitimate place to be. Um, and then as I learned more about them, I was like, whoa, like they don't offer anything. Um, and then the materials that they do offer people is it's sort of like a timeshare presentation. Like you have to sit through this set of information in order to um 
to gain access to like mommy bucks or baby bucks and sometimes daddy dollars too um, to shop in the boutiques to get the diapers and the onesies and stuff. So like none of it is free. None of it is like on the up and up. It's all a scam. Um, but to answer your question, I'm just like really passionate about these places getting defunded and really working towards a reality like where our taxpayer dollars are going towards public good. Um, so that's kind of just what keeps me motivated. I called it timeshare before because um, the other girl that we interviewed said something similar where you have to sit through, you know, mm-hmm. the propaganda of it all before you can get your your one pair of diapers, like, enjoy. So Yeah, yeah. yeah and just to speak a little bit more about that, it is totally propaganda. Like, the materials that they include in, like, their educational curriculum is um, called Earn While You Learn. Um, it's just, it's very stigmatizing. Like, they, they really only seek to support families who who align with like their idea of like what a family should be, which is cis and heteronormative. Like they're not really supportive of single parents. They're definitely not supportive of same sex parents or same gender parents. Um, And so they just have this concept that is just like super outdated and really not applicable to like what a family means today. It's just, it's all of it is just gross. Um, But to to speak specifically about the funding. um, So we don't get too much into like the private side of funding. But again, um, as I mentioned before, certain states, it's about 16 states that have publicly funded alternatives to abortion programs. And so the amount of money that flows to this program, these programs varies. Um, Texas has the most robust. They're operating at like a $100 million budget specifically for wow. their HPA programming. Yeah. Um, and so you just have millions and millions of dollars that are funding to these programs without much oversight. It's very different for an individual who is receiving TNF benefits or SNAP or WIC or Section 8, where there is a lot of reporting, there's a lot of paperwork, there's a lot of things that you have to do in order to qualify for assistance. Whereas these programs, you know, especially in states that are Republican-ran, they're, they're their friends, giving them money, basically. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have much oversight whatsoever. Um, and that's another concern because they're able to just get money, money, money without showing that they're doing anything to positively impact like maternal health outcomes in the state. Which is right in line with the right wing arguments about the relationship between the government and spending, right? The right wingers are always like, we want no oversight of huge pools of money. But in this case, they're actually fine with it. Yeah. Absolutely. Like I started to refer to these people as like welfare kingpins because you have like conservatives who have like promoted this rhetoric of like the welfare queen as someone who is illegitimately taking government assistance. And we know that like that's just factually incorrect. Like people are not doing that. But in these instances, they absolutely are getting public dollars to do nonsense. Like when we look at their records, they the overwhelming majority of the funds, specifically programs that are funded solely by TNF dollars, are used towards marketing. So they're used to engage with SEO professionals. They're used to buy these um, filters on Snapchat. They're used to buy the billboards and to pay the rent and the salaries of the employees of these centers. And very little goes towards actually providing care. And so it's just like this very sick cycle of manufactured poverty at the policy level mm. where these pools of money could be going directly to help people and they're not. They're going towards these wow. poverty the machines. Yeah. Mm. One of the things we try to do on Fraudsters is we, we could talk about the systems, we could talk about companies, but really at the end of the day, there's always a human that is pushing these things through. Who are, who's like your your top three? Yeah. <laughs> Arch nemesis. Wanted list. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I could give you a brief history of like public funding. So Please. public funding originated in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, it was shortly after the Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision came out. Um, and there was like this bipartisan effort to fund these centers under then Governor Casey. Um, So that was like in the late 90s, around 2001, 2002, I believe, former Senator Rick Santorum wrote a letter to HHS requesting that TNF funds be used for these alternatives to abortion programs. 
So the approval was granted um, in an organization called Real Alternatives. They're based in Pennsylvania. They became the sole contractor of the, the program's um, funds. And to this day, they're still the sole contractor. Um, and Equity Forward has been in a right to know lawsuit in the state for about the past five years um, in order to gain access to Real Alternatives records because they've been kind of operating this like kickback scheme where they, they get the funds and then they have these separate contracts that they have their sub their sub grantees sign and then they have this kickback scheme like so they they have their sub grantees give them three percent back from these public dollars so that they could do what they want and their real alternatives claim is that this is a private business endeavor even though it's public money um oh. so they're they're not subjected to public records and what's interesting is that real alternatives they're they're about 90 percent fund by public dollars by you know by these 10 of dollars um and their top three executives make a combined seven hundred thousand dollars in Harrisburg. But they work so hard, Ashley. They work so hard. <laughs> they are kind of working hard to fraud everyone, yeah. Scamming is not easy. It's really not easy. <laughs> it's just greediness, you know? So if, if you were to look for an organization, I would definitely suggest Real Alternatives. Like, they're the number one. Because the other thing Real Alternative says is they consult with other states to help them set up their A2A yep. programs and get publicly funded. And so some of their most successful cases are like Texas, Ohio, Missouri. Like these are states that they've, they've worked with to help them, or like consulted with, um, to help them get their programs set up. So yeah, they're, they're like the main ones. Wow. We get information at the state level through public records requests. Um, so at the federal level, that's called like FOIA, the, federal, um, the Freedom of Information Act. But each state has like its own um, sun sunshine guide or sunshine set of laws that allows people to request information about how the government is operating. Got it. So anyone could could be researching this. It takes Ashley focused to be going after these folks and really getting all these things together. Is that yeah, accurate? Yeah, anyone could. And like, honestly, anyone who's interested in learning more about how to use public records to inform your advocacy, like please reach out to Equity Forward. We love to work with state-based partners to, to get that information like set up. Now that we're in this kind of post-Dobbs world, can you tell me what are the dangers of these clinics now that uh, the Dobbs decision has come down and rose effectively? Uh, gone, overturned? Yeah, I'm sure you guys have heard of this, but within the repro community, one of our main concerns is that AACs are not subjected to medical privacy laws. Um, but they are collecting a lot of information, such as like where people live and their sexual history and like other sort of medical stuff. Um, and the concern is because they are not subjected to those laws, we don't know what they're doing with that data. And specifically as states seek to like criminalize abortion, it's a, a true concern that like these centers can become like a surveillance hub for trying to figure out who's trying to access abortion and who's trying to get abortion in the state. Um, so that's one concern. And the other is that they, they're just, they're so present in our communities that a lot of people look at them as like these benign neutral entities and don't really understand like what they seek to do. Um, and because of that, because there isn't, there, there's a lot of increasing awareness now, but they really are trying to position themselves as being being able to handle this uptick of like people who are going to be forced to carry their pregnancies to terms and being, they're, they're trying to position themselves as being able to help. And so they're asking for more funds. And we know that they're, 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 they're thinking of other ways that they can kind of like seize this opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, th that's very concerning. And that's why we're, we're always grateful for like platforms such as this, where we could talk about these centers and what they're doing and why, why we need to get them, get them out of here. Well, we said before we got on to the session here that this is this anti-abortion clinics are a category that we are going to be covering on this show. We're not going to just be a one off and then move on to some other topic. Can you just add one thing, though? Please. Um, they're referring to them like as much as you can. Try not to use the word clinic or counseling center or anything like oh. that. Because that that like actually legitimizes right. what they like. They don't totally. have patients because they're not medical centers. They're they're just anti-abortion centers. Like that's what they are. They have clients that they interact with, but no patients. No, we don't really anti-abortion center. Center. Mm -hmm. yeah. Center. Get used to saying okay. it. Yeah. Can we call it an anti-abortion gulag? Or can we call it that? That no. doesn't have the same no, ring it's not the to same. it. But no. Anti-abortion really... scammery center. 
closed white castle with fake <laughs> ultrasounds in it <laughs> of like adult ch- children inside the womb <laughs> crying. Yeah. Ashley Underwood from Equity Forward, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. All right, folks. So we, we've got some clips that we actually found from social media. Noreen, our wonderful production coordinator, loves to find clips, and she found some clips because when we spoke with Ashley Underwood, the director of Equity Forward, she talked about how they're on social media and they're active on social media. They've got little AR face things and they've got TikToks and all kinds of stuff. And of course, what do we do on Fraudsters? Well, we deep dive, but we also love to look at what's happening in the culture. So oh we've got God. some clips to check out from these places. I'm nervous. I'm stressed. I can't yeah. believe that Noreen found these. <laughs> I am. I'm stressed out. <laughs> you're, so, you're holding your oh. hands like praying, please <laughs> let it go. Please make it go away. Noreen, I am worried about her algorithm now. Uh-oh. Okay. Yeah, the algorithm. Thank you for doing mess. what you had to do. Thank you for your service. Brace yourselves. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> what makes our Pregnancy Resource Center different? What makes us different from other pregnancy resource centers in the area is that we are a medical We're not real. Which means we can offer free medical services like pregnancy testing, STD testing, Oh my God. This is a fucking kitchen. This is a coffee shop. This is a a coffee coffee shop. shop. This is a Starbucks, ma'am. You can't do any of this stuff at a Starbucks. Actually, Uh, you can. I probably could do... I'll take a matcha latte with a couple pumps of the... They have the syrups. They even have the syrups in the back there. I'll take a matcha latte with a couple pumps of the classic and an ultrasound, please. As a former barista, I probably gave more girls pregnancy tests and things than this pregnancy resource ever has. Honestly and truly, I've helped so many fellow women out. I hate this. They Already. don't even listen. If you were to go in there and be like, Can I get a double espresso and a pap smear? They'd be like, We can give you the espresso, not the pap smear, because they're not a real clinic. They'll say, Sure, we'll give you the espresso. And then you could come into this room and watch this video really quickly. Like, it'll be just lies and scammery. I can't yeah. believe that is like a fancy espresso machine. They've got all this like cute fonts on the on the chalk and stuff like that. All right, all right, all right. 22,000. That's how likes. you know it's fake. That's how you know it's fake. Because you know what? If you if you like me and you've been to an abortion center, it's very cut and dry. <laughs> we got chairs and we got people with lab coats. And like, what's up? You got to get rid of this? Okay. That's Let's really go. it. There's no coffee. There's not a nothing. We want you in oh, and out to chop shop. Because it's a real medical facility. Yes. What? Uh, yeah, I should call it a real medical facility, not a chop shop. <laughs> okay, let's go. Let's keep it going. All right, let's go. Next. Hey, so I'm going to make a response to this comment. Um, one, because TikTok doesn't have much room in the comment section and nobody wants to read a book. But um, our yeah. center was founded by um, a woman who chose abortion. And so, though. I understand the passion behind the people that make that do the screaming and whatnot. I don't find them helpful at all. Um, in fact, one of our Yo. former volunteers, she shared with me her experience of having crossed a picket line. And um, if only those people had stopped screaming at her and would have actually listened to her and connected with her. Um, then perhaps and offered her real resources like what our pregnancy center does, then perhaps she okay. might not have made that decision that so negatively impacted her emotional health. All right. Mm. So she's like, we're nice to you. <laughs> and when we're nice to you, you make the decision of like having the baby. I feel like that's a better. That's like, the what? best. That's the that's best. That's the best. Uh, so they were going around showing nice. different items in their whatever resource center, um, which, by the way, they would probably it didn't have to even do look the, good. Didn't what, even look as good as the other one. I'll tell you what. <laughs> it did not. It didn't give it, me coffee. Uh, yeah, the other ones I could get a latte. Can I get a latte here? No, but they had different items uh, for women to uh, you know around prenatal care or, or postnatal care and stuff like that. But the thing about it is, is that you're still going to have to take the classes. You're going to earn the bucks. And the education stuff that goes along with it. That's the scam here, people. Listen, pro-life, pro-choice, whatever. It's the lying. It's the deceit. It's 
it's this. By the way, and also the screaming, let me tell you something. No one screams louder than the pro-lifers, all right? They come out. They've got their posters with the weird, uh, like, dolphin fetuses on them and stuff they like do. that. They do they all do. of the screaming. They're very aggressive. They're screaming murderer at people constantly. So yeah. there you go. You want to talk about the screaming? That doesn't help. Traumatizing people that are trying to go in and get health, actual medical services, that's traumatizing. That is actually not helpful. But you get a free car seat, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it all worked out. Good button. All right. What's the next one? Fuck my life. So that one was uh, a bunch of women hoarding uh, supplies for children. <laughs> so it was like baby clothes and diapers, Similac. So for a while when you couldn't get Similac, it's because of these women. Yeah. Uh, and Which, I guess they're trying to say, like, you should come here and not get an abortion and because we have stuff for the kid. Like, like I'm not clear on. I want to know if these people are literally when a woman walks in, they say, I need this. They just give it to them. Or are they like, you have to sit here and watch these videos and you can earn our NFT. And then with that NFT, <laughs> it entitles you to getting, uh, you know, diapers and Similac and stuff. I mean, I think that baby bucks, you can get yeah. half of a Similac God, and hope for the a... Or they just make you pay like a premium. Yeah, just get. Oh, my God. What else do we have here? I first found out I was pregnant. I was 20. I lived in a college dorm um, over a thousand miles away from my parents, and I was not ready to tell anyone that I was pregnant yet. Um, but I did want to make sure that I was safe and that I was, in fact, pregnant. So I did look for some pregnancy resource centers and the one that I found near me did happen to be a religious one. Um, keep in mind, I was in South Carolina, so um, that's pretty common there. I'm not super religious, but I still would say overall it was a, it was a good experience. They were super kind to me. They ran some tests and they did confirm that I was pregnant. It was funny. Afterwards, they like walked into a room with like a baby blanket and these little baby booties and they were like, congrats. And I was like, oh, and it was kind of awkward. They actually helped me set up an ultrasound for when I came back from Christmas break, but I had already seen my actual doctor by then, but it was all free. Like a real doctor. I like... <laughs> Yes. Do you think they would have respected your decision if you hadn't decided to continue with the pregnancy? Exactly right. I think that is the big difference maker when they come in with the hard sell. Yeah, like you got to keep it now. I love how she said I, they ran some tests. Honey, you got to. What did they run? Tests. And you, then she said real doctor afterwards. So like, let's. what are we talking about? My they're not says. pricking you with a needle. That's for sure. They can't. They don't. They're not allowed to. They're just making you pee on a pregnancy test. I, can I tell you a little um, psychology thing? Yeah. When people look to the left, you probably know this, I've already seen it, but when people look to mm. the left, uh, that means they're lying. And throughout yeah. that video, she kept looking away <laughs> from the camera. Yeah. She couldn't even look at the camera straight while she's telling this story. They're accessing the creative part of their mind. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, sure. So she was just a mess. It's just, yeah. they're just trying to do it. She was also self-soothing a lot by petting her hair. I don't know yes, if you saw that. Yes, 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 I did. So that's another sign of just like, I'm not comfortable with what I'm doing, but I'm doing that it anyway. That was a traumatic time, yeah. But this is what's, these, these, how many views does this video have? 10,500, folks. Yuck. Likes. So that means it's Likes. been viewed more than that. Yeah. The hundreds of thousands of people have viewed it. Have you been to this pregnancy resource center? No, but now TikTok knows that this is what I'm looking at. <laughs> All right. Do we have any more clips? All right. Let's pause this. I can't. This is just another one of just showing maternity clothes, pacifiers. We've got all of these things at our resource center. Ariel, what, how does this make you uh, feel? Just the misusing of the Jersey meme is very stressful to me in general. <laughs> um, but so they're saying, like, we're going to give this stuff to you. This is the thing. This is the fraud. This is the scam. This is the honeypot where they're like, come in. We got all this free shit. And they're like, no, you're going to take these classes. Why do you have so many? Why do you have so many clothes? Let's talk yeah. about it. Also, the unhoused could use those. There's a lot of people that could use yeah. those. Yeah, tons of people could use those. And the pacifiers and stuff. 
Yeah, they're not going to want to take your stupid religious classes. That's the fucking problem. That's what it is. It's a timeshare. It's a timeshare, and I hate it, and I hate the format of the TikTok, and it's got 30 likes. That's all it deserves. Yep. Less like than the, that. I like the numbers on this one. I like yeah, the, numbers the numbers on this on one. This one. Good searching, garbage. though, Noreen, on this one. This yeah, is a deep cut. Good job. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry for this, Noreen. Yeah. Anything for fraudsters. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Fraudsters. Big thanks to Ashley Underwood and David Chu. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Check out the show notes for this show's social media links so you can follow us and see the resources we use for this episode. Frosters is hosted by me, Sina Gazdavi, Justin Williams, and Ariel Lieti. Producer is Jordan Aconcia. Production coordinator is Noreen Malik. Editor is Ryan Connor. Our writer is Nick Turner. Our researcher is Emily Fusco. Music by Grant Gordon. Executive producer is me, Sina Gaznavi. This has been a production of Zero Cool and The Last Podcast Network. (laughs) 